Hey friends, welcome back to Wild Hearts with Janine. I'm Janine, the host of your podcast and the host of your podcast. No, the host of this podcast. Wow, that is real life right there, you guys. Um, I'm so excited that you guys have tuned in today for another episode with my friend, Hannah Jirasi. Um, Last episode, we talked all about Sabbath. It was maybe one of my favorite things I've recorded in a while. So if you haven't checked that out, make sure you go back, take a listen, and then come on back here. Yeah, so I'm not going to ask you all the same introductory questions that I normally ask guests because we did it in the last episode. But just in case someone's listening and they haven't heard the last one, can you just take like a minute or two to quickly reintroduce yourself, Hannah? Yes. Um, Hello, everyone. (laughs) Hi again, mom. Um, I am still Hannah. Um, I'm 27 years old. I'll be 28 soon. And I live in Southern California. And I work as a pastor at a local church. And that's pretty much all there is to know about me. I don't have anything exciting going on beyond that. I think that's the reality for a lot of us nowadays. Right. <laughs> it's a lot of time spent at home. And we know each other through a mutual friend mm-hmm. um, who kind of introduced us on Instagram. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just got to get to chatting with you and wanted to have you on the podcast. And you had so many topics that um, we could have talked about that I was like, we got to do at least two. Uh, who knows? I might bring you back for another one in the future. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, the last episode we did, like I said, was on Sabbath. And it was, um, it was truly kind of like respite for my soul, just even getting to record that episode. Um, and so, yeah, but today's topic is different and, um, it's heavy, but it's really, really important. And that is how to be a champion for racial justice. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind listening right now that this year has been hard. It has been, um, hard, heartbreaking, eye-opening, and strange to say the least. There are so many adjectives that could describe what this year has been for so many of us. And um, something that literally nobody can ignore at this point, like whether you're in the US or abroad, um, is the need to fight for continued racial justice. Um, This is a heavy and very important topic, like I said, and I'm really, really excited that you um, have offered to gracefully lead a discussion with us today on that topic. Um, so I guess we should just jump on in. Does that sound good? Yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. Okay. First thing I want to ask is how would you define racial justice, um, and the pretty obvious divides that we have here in America, but also around the world? Yeah. Just a light question to start. I love it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's great. I'm an Enneagram 4. We go deep fast. Yes. No, I love it. And I'm an 8, so we go intense pretty fast. Um, mm. This is great. But yeah, I think um, what I'm going to say first might sound like an oversimplification, but hopefully this will come out. Um, the Some of the complexities will come out as I talk more about it. But I really think that racial justice... Um, like other issues uh, that we see in the world today, this is really, this comes down to equity and flourishing. Um, Mm. And equity, just to be really clear, is different than equality. Um, Equity Mm -hmm. is about um, impact and like what is received. And equality is kind of like on the opposite end of that. Equality is like, if I give everybody the same um, if I give everybody the same step stool to stand on, um, mm-hmm. then great, you should be good because I, I equally distributed the same step stool to stand on to reach the bowl at the top of the shelf in your kitchen or whatever. But equity is mm-hmm. about, okay, that's nice that you gave us all the same step stool, but we're not all the same height. And some of us will need a higher step stool to reach the top shelf than uh, the next person would. So a racial justice really comes down to, at least for me, comes down to mm-hmm. what does it mean for us to have equity um, locally, nationally, and globally um, for all all different communities, all different racial and ethnic groups. Um, and really, that's about flourishing, like not to get too, <laughs> too Christian <laughs> cheesy too quick. But um, really, the question is, does everyone have what they need to flourish? Um, does everyone have what they need to experience 
uh, the world as God intended us to. Um, mm. And really, so that's about like access. That's about opportunity. Um, that's about safety um, and all of that. And so I think when it comes to some of the divides we have in America, a lot of the divides come down to what's getting in the way of that. Like, what are the things, what are um, the systems, what are the policies that are keeping people over and over and over, generation after generation, that are keeping them away from flourishing? Um, mm-hmm. One of those things is racism. There are obviously other things that could keep people yeah. from, uh, from flourishing as well, like poverty or like economic despair. Um in a country like ours, like gender inequality is another thing that could keep people from flourishing. Like, so there's lots of, there's lots of ways to answer that question. Uh, for the sake of today's episode, we'll obviously be focusing on <laughs> racial justice. But yeah, so when it comes to those divides, um, racism is one of the things that is separating mm-hmm. uh, not just individuals. This is not just a matter of like, one individual to another in some kind of relationship. This is a matter of entire communities of people, like mm-hmm. millions and millions of people um, being systematically and systemically kept um, from what it means to flourish. So, yeah. yeah. So that's what we're talking about today. Thank you for that kind of explanation um, and definition of what racial justice is and, you know, those divides that we are so clearly seeing this year, especially, um, which Honestly, I'm kind of frustrated yeah. that it hasn't been at the forefront of, yeah. again, speak for myself, but of my mind or my life until something like the things that have happened this year mm-hmm. become so um, prevalent. Um, yeah. So so anyway, it's, it's important to be having well, this conversation. Well, just to speak to that super quickly – um, yeah. that's actually part of it. Uh, like when we talk yeah. about, so I work at a multi-ethnic church. Um, we are mm-hmm. multi-ethnic from like the boardroom all the way through staff, through the congregation, mm-hmm. all the way to like the nursery. Like you'll see, yeah. you'll see racial diversity in our babies, um, and in the people <laughs> that make decisions about budgets and all of that. And so that's a little bit of the context mm-hmm. I'm coming from, but I am a white woman. Um, so there's a, mm-hmm. a huge learning curve, um, for those of us who are white. Yeah. Um, but that's actually, that is part of it. So just to save you and any listeners from beating yourself up for not knowing sooner um, or for Mm -hmm. not realizing that this is still a huge deal, even in 2020. And, you know, we saw a lot of uh, reckoning and uprising this year as people kind of some people were coming to terms with it maybe for the first time and others were coming to terms with it for the millionth time and saying, like, why? Why is it still this way? But um, just to speak to the pressure and the frustration and a lot of times often the confusion of why didn't I know that's actually part of how um, this system was designed. So when we talk about racism, we're not, like I said, we're not just talking about um, individual to individual. We're not just talking about interpersonal dynamics. Uh, We're Mm -hmm. really talking about our institutions and um, how white supremacy, that's an intense term, but how white supremacy has kind of been baked into everything we do. And part of the reason why it has lasted so long is those of us who are white have been taught, albeit subconsciously or unconsciously, we've been taught to not see it. Like we've been, Mm -hmm. we've been trained to not notice. Um, And so when we do notice, it's incredibly jarring because it's like, oh my gosh, this has been going on for how long? And who's benefited from it? I've benefited from it. Who's like, you know, not benefited from it? Oh my gosh, so many people. Like it's a very, um, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in that. um, Mm -hmm. And that's okay. But just to relieve, I mean, there is... There is a responsibility, I think, um, to pay attention for all of us. But just to relieve anyone who's like, oh, my gosh, I feel like an idiot for not knowing. Please don't. Um, In a lot of ways, like uh, asking white people. um, And I know probably not all of your listeners are white, but I'm guessing at least at least one of them is um, because I'll be listening. (laughs) So that's me. But um, for those of us who are white, talking about racism is kind of like asking a fish to describe the water that it's swimming in. Um, I mean, mm. if fish could talk, 
maybe they can, we don't know. Um, if fish could talk, they might say like, what water? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> this is just, this is just the world we're in. It's the air we breathe. And so, um, yeah. So just to speak to that super quickly, like, um, that, that is part of it is that you're not mm-hmm. supposed to notice. Um, mm-hmm. And the machine works really, really well uh, to convince us that it's not actually happening um, or yeah. that it's not uh, credible. What is being said is happening. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure where we, where we live and where we come from mm-hmm. can, I mean, it, it just means that what we're seeing and hearing is potentially different in different places. Right. So Absolutely. I'm from California. I'm from the Bay area, which is, mm. In, in all, you know, for all intents and purposes, like a pretty diverse place. Right. Um, but now I live in Nashville, Tennessee, which is like really white and and black. But those are kind of the two main mm-hmm. um, like kind of groups of people. There's obviously some other um, areas of diversity, but it's very different than where I come from. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that like based on where we are, we might know more or less mm-hmm. or be exposed to more or less. Mm-hmm. Um so that's very fascinating to me too. Yeah. Which I think is why this year has been such a kind of like reckoning moment mm-hmm. for so many who might have not had the awareness or maybe their eyes were a little bit closed to what was really happening, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but it's been so prevalent in media and with with the rise, of course, of social media too. Mm-hmm. Um, like there there's no there's no ignorance. Like you can't really have that anymore. Yes. Um, if that was ever kind of your claim to not knowing, it doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, it's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would love to hear too from like a biblical perspective because at this point I'm like, maybe you should just be like my little Bible expert that comes on every <laughs> once in a while because last time we talked about Sabbath and now we're talking about something that I think is so important mm-hmm. for believers to be thinking about, talking about, fighting for. Um mm-hmm. Why should racial justice matter to Christians in 2020, in 2021, and beyond, especially white Christians? Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's such a good question. Um, I mean, it matters to God. So if that if that doesn't do it for you, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Just kidding. Um, yeah. I mean, it, not kidding about it mattering to God, but uh, the super simple the super simple answer is this is absolutely on the heart of our good and gracious mm. God. And um, I think that means that it should should probably be on our hearts as well. Um, so that's, yeah. you know, everything falls under that, but as just like a blanket, potentially oversimplified answer. Um, I, it says in Isaiah, um, the Lord loves justice. And so I'm like, great, mm. that does it for me. But to give you more <laughs> than that, um, I do <laughs> think that this really is a matter of good and evil. Um, like I said, we're not just talking about, um, good and evil on like a person by person individual basis, but we're talking about how good and evil are inside of our systems, um, and inside of how we order society and how we decide, uh, what is valuable and what is beautiful and what is important and all of that. Um, and when we read the Bible, we learn that the enemy, um, comes to steal, kill and destroy. And so it's pretty obvious that if there's a system such as systemic racism, um, if there's a system that is stealing, killing, and destroying us, then that's probably not from God. Um, and that means that we need to pay attention to it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah. So, I mean, beyond that, I think we can learn a lot from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Uh, the first, the very first two questions that God asks anybody in the Bible. Um, The first one is Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They've just had the fruit or whatever with the snake and the whole thing. That's, that story is just so it's every time I say that I picture like a felt board um, in like a Sunday school class with, with kindergartners. So I just pictured a felt snake, but that's the scene. Um, And God asks Adam and Eve after they have eaten the fruit, And like suddenly realize they're naked and they go and hide. And the first question God asks them is, where are you? Um, And this question really is like, I mean, God obviously knows where they are. um, But he's asking them like, what, like, what is causing this shame for you? Um, And I think that's important for us to pay attention to in um, 
yeah, in this conversation, just like, where, where are we? Like, what is causing us to hide? What's causing us to feel shame? But then more importantly, the second question that God asks his people, um, you fast forward a little bit, but still in Genesis, still like within the first couple chapters, um, Cain and Abel are these two brothers and, um, one of them is killed. I'm such a bad seminary student. Um, I can never keep them straight. Which one kills which? I'm so sorry, listeners. Uh, but one <laughs> of my brothers kills the other brother. And what happens is God goes to the one who murdered his brother and he says, where is your brother? Like, I hear his blood crying out from the ground, where is your brother? Um, and so where are you and where is your brother? I think those two, like, those are the first two times that God speaks to humans um, and asks mm-hmm. them a question in the Bible. And I think that has a lot to do with how we approach racial justice as Christians today. Like, um, if you ask me where I am as a white woman, mm. my answer looks one way. But if you ask me, where is your brother or sister of color? It's a very different answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as Christians, we follow the God who hears the blood from the ground. Um, mm. Later in the Bible, hears the cries of his people oppressed in Egypt. Um, mm. This God is paying attention. Like he is... Mm. Uh, acutely aware of how systems of oppression are affecting his people. And he Mm. asks those of us who have power in those systems, whether that's Cain or Abel, we're not sure which one, um, or, (laughs) or Pharaoh or whoever he asks, where is your brother? Like I can hear them, but do you know where they are? Um, So that's one of the reasons why I think it should matter to us. Um, Especially, oh my gosh, especially when we're talking about our, brothers and sisters of color in Christ. Like if you, I, I just don't know. I personally just don't understand how someone could listen to the story and the lived experience of a fellow believer of Mm -hmm. another race um, and say like, what happened to you is not true. Like, I just can't imagine. Um, but that's really kind of across the board what we've done is we've said, you know, your cries have not been heard. They've been heard by God, but they will not be heard by us. Um, so that's kind of intense and kind of heavy, but that that's a huge reason why I think it should matter yeah. to us. But then also just one other thing. I do think um, for those of us who are white, just back to the idea of like the enemy stealing, killing and destroying, like through mm-hmm. white supremacy, like this is affecting us too. Like mm. there's a, definitely not um, in any kind of parallel way as to how yeah. Um, yeah. men and women of color are affected by systemic oppression. Not at all. Not trying to draw any connection <laughs> there. Um, but racism does distort every white person's identity too. Like yeah. there's no way for us to be intentionally or unintentionally complicit in hundreds of years of injustice and come out unaffected. There's just no way. Like there's no way to, yeah, to not have that shape who we see ourselves to be. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's no way for us to come out without our Imago Dei identity, this like being created in the image of God. There's no way for us to come out without our Imago Dei like distorted a little bit. So if Mm -hmm. for no other reason, (laughs) if you're a Christian listening and you're like, "Mm, I don't know about racial justice, if I should care or not, like if for no other reason, I really think white Christians should care because it's hurting us too. Obviously not Mm -hmm. in the same way, but it is keeping you from being everything that God created and called you to be. Um, And I think that's worth paying attention to. Um, but then also, of course, where is your brother? So, mm, gosh, yeah, that's so good. Oh, this is a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> yes, is, but like it's important work, um, an important conversation to have. So, I would love to know how is a lack, or or I would even say like worse, blatant disregard of mm. racial justice antithetical to the love of Jesus Christ? Yeah. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> Oh, it's a great question. Um, We do these workshops at our church um, where we teach people just all about this, about racial reconciliation, racial justice, et cetera. And we Mm. do this segment called How Does Scripture Inform Us? And it's usually like a 60-minute session. Mm. So I'm going to try and condense it. But um, how is it antithetical to the love of Jesus? I mean, following Jesus really 
you've probably heard this before. I'm not claiming to have made this up, but following Jesus really is a, it's a vertical relationship and it's a horizontal relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the, the love God, love others aspect of what it means to be Christian. Like uh, you are not fully Christian if you just love God and you are Mm -hmm. not fully Christian if you just love your neighbor. It has to be Mm -hmm. both. Um, And Jesus is pretty clear about that Um, all throughout scripture. He's yeah. Over and over. He'll say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the other commandments are great. This is the new Hannah translation again, but the other commandments are great, but like they all hinge on loving God and loving neighbor. Like, okay, got it. Or like, he'll say, you know, they're not going to know that you love me based on anything other than how you love one another. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. that loving, loving neighbor is so important to Jesus. Um, and racial justice is one of the ways that we love our neighbor. Like when we, if we sat down at a whiteboard and we wrote down all the reasons, um, big or small, that it's hard to love our neighbor on that list would be systemic racism. It's one of the reasons, one of the systems that makes it very difficult for us to love one another as we love ourselves um, because of how it affects everything. It affects our healthcare. It affects our education. It affects our wealth. It affects poverty. It affects so much. Um, And so if we're going to get serious about loving our neighbor, then we need to pay attention to the things that are getting in the way of that um, Mm -hmm. racism being one of them. And so, Hmm. yeah, I just think, I think it's antithetical because I mean, if we're talking about Jesus, like, Right. This is the guy who told a story, the Good Samaritan, told a story about, um, you know, mm-hmm. somebody getting robbed and left for dead on the side of the road and religious mm-hmm. leaders walked by and did nothing. Nothing. And the one who stopped and helped them was yeah. a Samaritan, hence the title Good Samaritan. But what's lost mm-hmm. on us is that the Samaritans ethnically were disgusting despised by the Jews. Mm-hmm. Like this is like such a no-no. Like you don't interact with them. You don't talk to them. Um, to use a reference from like the civil rights era, they would have had a different drinking fountain. Um, mm. They would have had segregated schools. Like that's such a big no-no. But Jesus tells the story and says, hey, the neighbor is the one who even mm-hmm. across ethnic and cultural differences is the one who shows up. Um, And I think that's like so worth noting. Um, But also, I mean, this is the Jesus that uh, (laughs) tells us another really painful um, story, Um, painful because it's convicting in Matthew 25. (laughs) It's not a story, it's a parable, but he's using this parable of like separating people into these two groups into the sheep yeah. and the goats and the criteria by which Jesus is separating these two groups. And it, it matters that they're separated because one group is going to get to be with Jesus forever. And one group isn't. Um, so it's actually one of the only times Jesus specifically talks about uh, who's in and who's out and mm. the criteria for who's in and who's out, according to Jesus is mm-hmm. how you treated the last, the least, and the lost. Like how you mm-hmm. treated people when they were hungry, how you treated people when they were incarcerated, how you treated people when they were thirsty, when they were, you know, lonely, whatever it is. Like he uses a couple different examples. And he says like, hey, if you couldn't see me in those people mm-hmm. and treat them as if you were treating me, Jesus, your savior, <laughs> then I'm sorry, but it's over. Like kind of thing. This is, I have such a dramatic reading of scripture. I'm not supposed to read tone into the text. That's what they teach you in seminary, but (laughs) I do it all the time. But anyway, I just think that's really significant that like our ethics as Christians have to include neighborly Mm -hmm. love. And Mm -hmm. Jesus also just takes it further. Like he doesn't stop at neighbor. He says, oh, you also are called to love your enemy what on earth oh my gosh like jesus i get the neighbor part but enemy feels like a bit much um but yeah so that's why that's part of why i think it's like it's just absolutely antithetical like Mm. to who god is to who jesus was and is like to how the spirit's moving in the world today like systemic racism just is incompatible with all of those things like it just doesn't fit and as a people who are called to love not only our neighbor but also our enemy we have Mm. no excuse for intentionally participating 
in the system. We will unintentionally participate in the system because that's how systems work. You don't, you're not supposed to see them. Um, yeah. But I think there are, there are ways that we can like dismantle it and take apart the machine so it doesn't keep pumping out the results that it's pumping out. So there you go. Some more Bible. All right. Well, <laughs> we can end here. But once again, <laughs> nope. We got, I got more I need to add. This is so good. Um, well, okay. I know you've mentioned like the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. Cain and Abel, we've talked a little bit about scripture, mm-hmm. um, which is important. Um, but if you could add to that, what would you say the Bible offers us um, by way of like guidance for engaging justice, like beyond those those stories? Yeah, beyond those stories, um, just two other things. I I think one is actually in Jeremiah twenty nine. Um, not Jeremiah 29, 11, although we love to cross stitch that on everything and watercolor it for our dorm rooms. But, um, yeah, a couple of verses before that, I think it's verse seven. It might be verse eight, but a couple of verses before that, like Jeremiah is writing to the people of Israel who've just been brought into exile. Like they have been taken from their land, like pillaged and like taken from their land, brought to a foreign nation with all new, new language, new culture, Mm. new customs, et cetera. And they have to, they don't know it yet, but they're going to end up living in that land for a long time in exile. Mm. And Jeremiah is a prophet writing on behalf of God to these people. And he's giving them instructions. Like, this is how, this is how you're, you're going to get through this. And one of the things that he says is seek the welfare of the city. Like, Mm -hmm. like do good where you are when you're there so that the city flourishes and Mm -hmm. maybe they'll even let you out sooner, (laughs) like out of Mm -hmm. exile, Um, but seek the welfare of the city, like do right by your neighbors. And I think Mm -hmm. that's significant for us because um, to some extent, like we're, to some extent, the metaphor of exile applies because we know that earth is not our permanent home. Um, And while we're here, there are aspects of living wherever it is you live in the world. Um, There are aspects of the culture and language and um, customs that don't match uh, those of the kingdom of God. So to some extent, I mean, hopefully nobody was, has like actually experienced exile, but like to some extent, like um, we are, we are foreigners um, on the earth. Um, But Mm -hmm. while we're here, seek the welfare of the city like we have to do right by our neighbors and so Mm. um yeah i think that that's a helpful guiding principle because if we look around our cities if we look around our nation we see oh my gosh like part of seeking the welfare is going to be taking apart any and all of the systems that are that are oppressing people and one of those is racism so that's one thing Um, but then also i think a, a helpful helpful piece of guidance from the Bible is this is an Acts. Um, there's a story. I don't remember what chapter it's in the early part of Acts <laughs> before Paul. Um, but there, this is like early church, like shortly after Jesus like is resurrected and then ascends into heaven and the disciples are like, Holy cow, we got to get this figured out. So they start doing, they start doing church. Everybody's sharing everything in common. It's great. And we run into this story where, there are these widows who are Greek or Hellenistic um, in the Bible. That means Greek. Um, mm-hmm. And there are these widows in the community. And this community is multi-ethnic because it started with the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. And so there's all these people in the same body of believers, like trying to figure out how to even like talk to each other, let alone like worship the same God. But there's yeah. this pocket of people, all these widows who are Greek um, who go to the leadership and they're like, Hey, like we're all sharing food here, but we are like being left out of that. Like we're not Mm -hmm. getting what we need. Um, like what's like help us out. And I love what happens is what they do instead of like Peter and the other like Jewish disciples, like culturally, ethnically Jewish disciples, just fixing Mm -hmm. it. What they do is they appoint, um, they appoint leaders from within that community to guide the response. Um, So really it's an example of like indigenous leadership. Like they say, okay, if we have a problem 
with a pocket of our community that's Greek, we're going to let somebody Greek decide how to solve that problem instead of us just telling them what they need to do differently, um, which can be a little bit paternalistic. Um, So I just love, yeah, it's like a kind of a flyby story. Like nobody's ever preaching on that, (laughs) Um, the Hellenistic (laughs) widows. But I do think it's important that like in this work, we listen to the communities most affected by systemic mm. racism and we let them lead us towards solutions instead of yeah. allowing the communities that have historically and currently been in in the role of like oppressor and in yeah. the role of power yeah. decide what it means to solve it. it's like we actually don't know like let's listen mm-hmm. maybe let's listen to the people closest to the heart of yeah. it um and then allow them to lead and not like yes yeah and not like um i don't know like tell them what to do or anything like that. So right. assume that we would understand if we're not the ones being exactly actually affected by the issue. Exactly. So those are just right. two more. I mean, the Bible's rich. We got a lot of stuff going on yeah. <laughs> in the Bible, but yeah. those are just two more. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I think in today's day and age, we've kind of talked about social media before, but like social media is great. And also it's kind of the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's, my, that's at least my humble opinion on it. Yes. Um, <laughs> So, you know, earlier this year, um, I'm sure everyone remembers, I think it was June 2nd was Blackout Tuesday, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone started posting little black squares on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, I think many people did it not really understanding what they were doing, Mm -hmm. um, trying to show that they were advocating and listening and, and, and shutting up and, you know, paying attention to what was really important and happening at that moment. However, it semi-backfired, I would say. A little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so how would you say that we um, na- can navigate, best navigate the difference between what we would call performative actions, which were yeah. things like that, like posts on social media, versus real, um, real actual advocacy? Yeah. Oh, it's such a good question. I ask myself this a lot when I'm deciding mm. what to post or not. Um, really, for me, I think it comes down to two things um both of these are questions the first one is like who who actually benefits from Mm. what i'm about to do um it's probably more often than not going to be more than one person is benefiting Mm -hmm. um but if there were ever a time when i asked who is benefiting from me posting this from saying this from going to this event from voting this way whatever it is if the answer to that question is ever like hey it actually only ever serves to perpetuate the current power dynamic then probably it isn't actually advocacy um like you know it doesn't count as advocacy if you're not actually advocating (laughs) for um whatever community or group that you're hoping to advocate for so i ask like who benefits from it and i think more often than not um there's a cost to real allyship Mm -hmm. like it's not it's not cute and it's Mm -hmm. not um fluffy i don't know why i use that word it's i'm imagining like a, a unicorn like on a rainbow like Um, I think the difference between like performative action and like real allyship is allyship is going to cost you something. Um, And it might cost you in like the most simplest terms, it might cost you followers. Um, It might cost you some hard conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. It might cost you a relationship with somebody who's like is unwilling to see the world another way. Um, It might cost you a job. Um, it might cost you financially, et cetera, but like really mm-hmm. advocating, um, like w- working on behalf of another group or individual or what have you, like that is going to, there's a sacrifice to that. There's a cost to that. And so I often ask, first of all, like who's actually benefiting from me repeating this narrative or yeah. saying this new thing or whatever it is. Um, and if it's, if it's serving to, just elevate the same voices that are always elevated, then it's not helpful. Even if it Mm -hmm. isn't performative, it's not helpful. Um, So that's the first question. But then also, it's usually a question of integrity for me. Um, Integrity Mm -hmm. matters so much to me. I am like, well, maybe, maybe you should ask somebody else this question. But I am like the (laughs) least, the I'm just not a performer just at all. Like generally, like I I do a lot of public speaking because I'm a preacher. So I'm like comfortable in front of a crowd, but I'm just like not, I don't, I don't really want 
to perform like at all that feels exhausting to me and I don't really want people to like know me or anything like that so part of it like part of it for me is like integrity just matters so much to me generally like am I acting out of wholeness like um the root word for integrity is integer which is a math term meaning like a whole number um and so if we are being people of integrity, we are acting out of wholeness and who we are in one place is the same as who we are in another place. What we say online is the same as what we'd say in person, et cetera. And so this question is helpful when it comes to performative actions, because I think, uh, I think it's worth asking ourselves like, okay, I'll say this by resharing it on my story on Instagram, but would I say it on a microphone in front of everyone I know? Yeah. And that's like pretty extreme, I realize, but it's a helpful metric for knowing whether or not you're just reposting it because you felt like you were supposed to, or if it's actually so true to you that you would Mm. say it on a microphone on a stage in front of all your friends, all your family, all your coworkers, your whole church, et cetera. Like if it's true Mm. to you and you really believe it, you would do that you know, taking us out, like, obviously, some people are afraid of public speaking. So taking that out of it. Um, (laughs) But I think that matters. And I think, um, and I think that goes not only for like, what we, what we do on the internet, as far as like, posting things or reposting things, but also how we have conversations about this, like, Mm -hmm. um, you can usually tell if somebody's trying to perform because the minute that they disagree with something, they crumble into like this troll state where they suddenly like can't have a can't have an adult conversation, can't hear somebody else's experience, et cetera. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you weren't actually here to do the work. You were here so that we thought you did the work. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, integrity. Integrity and just like a a question of like cost and Hmm. um, yeah, who's benefiting. I hope that makes sense. That was a little. No, it does. No, it does. It's, it's thinking beyond the, I think again, we live in a time where like, I don't think we put a lot of thought behind things generally Mm -hmm. speaking, because we're always moving so quickly. Yeah. Um, So to, to have questions to ask ourselves, ask ourselves before we do things like, who is this benefiting? Mm-hmm. Just that even that one question I think can really help kind of lead us in in what we say and what we do and what we post. Um, because I think, yeah, more often than not, we're not asking ourselves that. Right. Like, if ever. Right. And so even if just asking that one thing can make a real difference mm-hmm. in in how we advocate, right? Yes, absolutely. That's really good. Okay. Well, real talk here. I have a like kind of dig question. Um why can't we just pretend like everything is okay? Oh man, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I, you'd be surprised how many times I get asked this question each week. Um, mm. uh, part of the reason we can't pretend everything is okay is because it's not. Mm-hmm. Everything is not okay. Um, and so we call that lying. Um, <laughs> and that's a commandment. So we're just not going to do that. Um, but <laughs> beyond that, beyond the like snarky, you know, 15 word answer. Um, we can't just pretend everything is okay because, um, it, it just goes back to love of neighbor. Like if we, Mm. if yelling unity as loud as we can is not going Mm. to make us unified, um, Mm -hmm. telling someone who's in pain, you're not in pain is not going to fix (laughs) what it is that's causing the pain for them. Um, and so there's something like, Oh, there's something really hurtful in just like the the colorblindness of mm. of uh, quite frankly of like white evangelical Christianity. Um, yeah. Not every white evangelical Christian does this at all, but I think mm-hmm. on the whole, our culture has a tendency to pretend that if we just worship loud enough and mm-hmm talk about how much God loves us, that all the problems in the world will disappear. But we know that that's not true. Like we just know it's not true. Like take literally any issue and Mm -hmm. it doesn't apply. Um, You can't just say something is a certain way and then it becomes that way. Otherwise, I would absolutely just start saying like, yeah, today 
I'll win the lottery and tomorrow mm-hmm. I will marry the man of my dreams and he'll be fine. <laughs> and then the next day I'll move into a stunning home with the mortgage mm-hmm. paid off. Like we can't just say something and then it happens and right. we can't just ignore something and then it goes away. Cause that doesn't work mm-hmm. for like student debt. Wish I could, you know, yeah. ignore it. <laughs> doesn't work for like um, body fat. Uh, doesn't work mm-hmm. for disease. You know, it just doesn't work. You can't just ignore something until it disappears. It's like a pretty um, unproductive strategy to put it nicely. But yeah. So mm-hmm. I think just like overall, there's a lot of problems with colorblindness. Um couple of which are like when we say like oh I don't see color um Mm. first of all that's factually inaccurate we do see Mm -hmm. color and when we claim that we don't um we're kind of dismissing the created image of God in every single tribe tongue and nation um and in the Bible, in Revelation, which, you know, Revelation, ooh, like, you know, people are a little bit spooked um, by Revelation, yeah. but it's uh, part of Revelation in chapter seven, they describe this scene in heaven someday where we're like all before the Father. And it literally says every tribe, tongue, and nation before God, mm-hmm. like worshiping, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, worthy mm-hmm. is the Lamb. Um, and so I'm like, okay, if heaven someday is going to be all of us like fully integrated, then it's pretty mm-hmm. irresponsible for us to pretend that that like that we don't see that now. Like, of course mm-hmm. we do, unless you're like literally colorblind, but even still you can tell. Anyway, um, yeah. so part of it is like, okay, you're dismissing God ordained beauty and createdness and saying I don't see part of who you are but then beyond that what is like that's at the basic level what it's really doing is it's dismissing someone's experience and the real pain that they have lived through because Mm -hmm. of their ethnicity their race and how we assign meaning to those things in our society like it's saying to someone like oh what it like I don't care how hard it has been for you to be Mm -hmm. black, to be Latina, to be Asian American, to be whatever. I don't care how hard it's been. It's easier for me to just say that I don't see your color. Um, And so it's, it's dismissive. Um, Mm -hmm. It's painful. It's quite frankly, like a little bit mean. Like, I don't know, like people don't really use that word anymore. I feel like that's an elementary school word. Like you're being mean, but like it is, it's not kind. Um, Yeah at all um and it's just not helpful like at at on the worst end it's like painful and destructive which we don't want to do because we're trying to love our neighbor but on like the the least impactful end it's like it's just it's noise like it's not helpful at all you cannot mm-hmm. solve a problem by by pretending the problem doesn't exist and so yeah that's why we can't just pretend everything's okay because not everything is okay and also jesus mm-hmm. never did that Jesus mm-hmm. never said, oh, sorry, your daughter just died. Let's just pretend we're fine. Or like, oh, sorry mm-hmm. that you've been bleeding for 12 years, lady. Well, let's just pretend it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, sorry. Uh, I don't know. Sorry you've been caught in adultery. Like, let's just pretend mm-hmm. it's okay. Like, no, like Jesus really sits with and dignifies the experience of the people yeah. that he interacts with, no matter how much of an outcast they were, no matter even if they did something like legally wrong, like if they were in trouble and deserving of punishment, mm-hmm. he still offered dignity um, and still mm-hmm. really saw people where they were at and and told the truth about about that. And so, yeah, I think it comes down to truth telling and just like being helpful or not. Like, all right, if you're not helping, like get out of the way is kind of how yeah. I feel. That's my Enneagram 8 talking. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking as you were saying this, it's like it does, like you said, it dismisses someone's experience, like not just like one experience, but like their entire life's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, it undermines, right? It almost it almost inadvertently says that doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, like on a micro level, it's like if you had one, like for me, micro level, I come from a divorced family. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that, my parents' divorce greatly affected my life when it right. happened into my teen years, even still as an adult. And if somebody were to tell me, yeah, sorry, that doesn't matter. Like your, ex- your experience mm-hmm. as a child of divorce doesn't matter. That would piss me off. Right. When, 
and break my heart all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's one one experience of my life. But to think uh, that for someone who isn't white, I suppose, for 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 other people to say, oh, but I don't see that you are whatever you are, that you're black or you're Latino or you're, you know, I just see you as a person. It's like, well, then you're not seeing me at all. Right. Because I am what I am and that has been my life experience mm-hmm. and thus my life has been different than yours has been. Yeah. Right. So I think if we – Again, I just think empathy is so important. Absolutely. And trying to, as much as we can, even though we really can't, put ourselves into other people's shoes, like mm-hmm. other than our own. Like, I don't know. We have to be thinking so far beyond ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're a very self-insulated society. Yeah. Um, in general, we're very – we care a lot about ourselves. Um you know, it's a really fun time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but we, you know, we do, we kind of turn inward. We think about us. And if we don't ever step outside of that, like our empathy goes low, our compassion goes, like we are not going to be able to love our neighbors. And like you said, love our enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, if all we are thinking about is ourselves. Absolutely. And so anyway, thank you for speaking into that. Cause yeah, as you were talking, I was like, how undermining of someone's entire experience their, their, their existence, really, um, mm. to dismiss such an important thing. Like, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I just got – No, it's so good. Angry. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, well, if you – yeah, what mm, – this is kind of a difficult question. I mean, I don't have to answer it. You do. <laughs> um, so, well, in, in your opinion, um, what one thing can we all do right now to be better champions for racial justice? Oh, can I give two? Of course. Okay, yes. great. Yeah. I'm like, man, I don't know how to pick between these. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. The first thing is um, proximity. You mm. have to get into proximity to men and women of color. Um, mm. That will be easier uh, said than done for almost everyone, partially mm. because we're in a pandemic and like you shouldn't be physically close to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unless they're in your pod, your quarantine. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, uh, proximity though, like we, every, like proximity is everything. Like we, we have to get closer to stories that are different than ours, mm-hmm. um, that are just as valid. So, I mean, depending on where you live in the world, like that could mean like looking for a church that's multi-ethnic. Or, um, I don't know, joining a book club that's multi-ethnic or maybe your workplace is. And so you are in proximity, but somehow you need to be in proximity if you, and this is true for a lot of people in the U.S., if you live in a racially homogenous area where pretty much everybody, you're like at an 80 to 90% of the same thing, um, but mostly if you're in like a white, predominantly white area, um, you still have access to proximity because we have this amazing thing called the internet mm-hmm. where you can like stories are available to you. Like there are so many documentaries. There are so many books. You can follow people on Instagram, like, um, but you just need to put yourself in the orbit of people who don't live like you, who don't look like you, uh, who may or may not vote like you. You got to do it. Otherwise, it's always going to be an us and them. And mm-hmm. I heard a pastor say this one time. I can't remember who she quoted, but she said she was like, the when we start to make people the other, like an us and them kind of mm-hmm. divide, if that's the first domino, the last domino to fall in that line is always violence. Like you mm-hmm. cannot get to violence unless you have first made somebody the other. And said, that's them over there, and this is me over here, and they're Mm -hmm. different. Like, no matter how long it takes or what form it takes, that always ends in violence. And so that's why proximity is so important, is it helps us uh, close that gap between Mm -hmm. us and them and really learn how to validate um, and learn from other people's experiences. So the first one's proximity. But then the second thing, and this is also so important, this goes back to the Hellenistic widows. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think like we have got, for those of us who are white, if you're not white, um, you can decide if you want to do this or not. 
But for those of us who are white, we have got to sit under the leadership of men and women of color, period. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that every person who's a leader in your life needs to be a, a man or a woman of color. Um, but you need to you need to submit to leadership of color in order to become a champion for racial justice. It just is not going to happen without doing that. So that could be um, submitting to leadership could look a lot of ways. That could be like submitting to the teaching authority mm -hmm. of someone, like learning from someone, taking a class online, um, reading a book, um, you know, that kind of thing. That could be, you know, following somebody on Instagram and not just following a justice advocate, but following, you know, somebody who's leading in any capacity because they're, yeah. they're, you know, we miss out on so much when we only make men and women of color to be valuable in this space of racial justice. That's just not true. Like, of mm. course, obviously, they're going to add the most value to that conversation and this work. But that doesn't mean that they aren't also fabulous cooks and CEOs and <laughs> yeah. parents and teachers and lawyers and all the other things that you can be. So it could be an Instagram follow um, and just like to learn from somebody's content. Um, it could be finding a pastor of color uh, either to like go to their church or to, you know, listen to their sermons and sit under mm -hmm. their like spiritual and like um, theological leadership. So I think it's just time for, I don't think, and it's not just, it's definitely mm -hmm. long been time for those of us who are white to stop talking and mm -hmm. listen and learn and um, be willing to, yeah, be willing to learn from people whose lives have looked so incredibly different than ours and pay attention as the learners in this situation, pay attention to the moments when out of our internalized racism, we we feel almost like a natural propensity to want to jump in and lead, like almost like yeah. an entitlement. Like I hear you're explaining it and you have a PhD in whatever it is you're explaining. But as a white person, I'm accustomed to always being listened to, to always being treated as what I have to say can be believed and is valuable. And so it's it's something I notice in myself. It's something that a lot of people notice, a lot of white people notice in themselves mm -hmm. is that we have a tendency to like want to jump in and like say it, say the same thing that mm -hmm. a leader of color is already saying. And it's like, no, like, don't do that. <laughs> like, it's, it's, honestly, it's a microaggression. And for those of us who are women, we know this experience, especially if you're a yeah. woman in any kind of like business place setting. Um, or, and honestly, I experienced this in a church too, even in a church that like values and celebrates women as like fully equal to men. Um, there'll be times when like my idea is explained by a man and then he gets credit for it. And I'm like, what? Yep, 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 what? Yep. So I'm not saying that because I'm a woman, I know what it is. I know what it feels like to be a person of color. Not at all. Right. But that's that's what I'm getting at in the like pay attention to what surfaces as you sit under the leadership of men and women mm. of color and then unpack that and spend some time processing it because you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised how much entitlement actually does come up. Like I, mm. I do this work for a living. Like it is literally part of my job mm. to teach people about racial justice. And I see it come up in myself all the time. Um, Cause this is mm. going to be lifelong. So pay attention yeah. when that happens. Well, okay. One more question on this topic, just because I think, um, I mean, I know at least for myself, like I am feeling very encouraged to, mm -hmm. um, grow in this area and to make it a priority, mm -hmm. um, more of a priority than it's ever been at least. Mm -hmm. Um, so what resources would you recommend to those of us who are tuning in and like are just ready to be better. Yeah. <laughs> to be better advocates for um for fellow humans, fellow children of God. Um yeah, what what where would you point us? Yeah. Oh man, there's so there's so many good places to start. It's hard to narrow <laughs> it down. Um I think um if you're white, I highly yeah. recommend a book called White Awake. It's by Daniel Hill. He's a white pastor in Chicago and it's basic it's more memoir than anything else but he's writing about his discovery <laughs> that he's mm -hmm. white and that that means something um and because he's a pastor and like a very very smart christian i think he does mm -hmm. a good job of um 
he lands it so well for, mm. for white Christians. So that's a really great book. Um, another really good book is by another pastor and theologian named Lisa Sharon Harper. Huge mm. fan of her. Um, she writes a book called The Very Good Gospel. Um, and it's all about how the gospel intersects with just all of this. So cannot mm. recommend that one highly enough. Um, those ones are both like very Christian in their nature, mm-hmm. but super worthwhile. Um, if you're looking for something that isn't explicitly Christian, but is really good. Um, gosh, let's see. There's a podcast series on the show is called scene on radio S C N. Sorry. I cannot spell S C E N E. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, scene on radio. And I think it's like season two. They did a whole season called, um seeing white and mm. it's really good so they like walk through all of that that's not um that's not a faith-based resource but super mm-hmm. informative some other just some other like people i think to follow mm. um there's a number of pastors that are doing this work that are mm. worth following one is brenda salter mcneil um she is a pastor she's actually a reverend and a doctor so watch out world, but she is a, <laughs> she's a pastor at Quest Church in Seattle. She has written yeah. several books. Um, she preaches on this. Uh, she's one to watch on social media, follow her work. She's amazing. Um, Rich Viotas, that's spelled V-I-L-L-O-D-A-S. Um, mm-hmm. He is a pastor in Queens in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, like has a book, runs a multi-ethnic church as a senior pastor, incredible preacher. Um, but his work is definitely worth following, especially on Instagram. I feel like I repost what he says all the time. Um, but he's a man of color and is just doing the stuff. Eugene Cho is great mm-hmm. fan. Um, Sung Chan Ra is incredible, super feisty. I love his work. Um, he preached at our church once. And I was like, as an eight, I'm like, I like your style. <laughs> like This is great. Um, Justo Gonzalez is a theologian to read. Um, I mean, at the risk of sounding like some kind of weird church nepotism, like my church senior pastor is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Albert Tate and, um, he hasn't written a book yet. Albert, if you're listening, get going on your book. Let me know if you need a ghostwriter. Um, uh, anyway, but Albert, um, uh, is a black man under whose leadership I've sat for years, and I am mm-hmm. so much better of a better of a follower of Jesus, just better of a human because of it. But he preaches mm-hmm. on justice quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are some resources. All those people that I named are like great on and off the internet. So depending on your access you can find them somewhere. Wow. We got a full list guys. This is awesome. Yes. I know that was a question I hadn't prepared you for either, but as we were going through this today, I was like, Oh, we need, we need to point everyone to more things because mm-hmm. it can't, it, this can't be it. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, like, no. There's so much, there's so much out there. Oh, Hannah, this has been um, so timely, obviously, but so eye opening for me. So encouraging as well. Um, thank you for pointing us uh, toward Jesus, honestly, mm-hmm. toward the love of God and his love for his kids that we need to emulate. Um, I love what you said about loving. I might, I'm getting a little bit weepy. Um, <laughs> I love what you said about loving neighbor and enemy and mm-hmm. really none of these people are our enemies. Um, so really it's all about just loving one another more than anything else. That's what's important. We have to validate the, the life experiences of all of these, of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, God created each and every single person with intention and with purpose and with uniqueness. And that is something to be celebrated um, and loved. And so anyway, thank you so much for leading us in this conversation Mm -hmm. and leading us toward, um, toward real positive change toward fighting for and championing for racial justice in America and beyond. Um, This is a heavy topic and I'm so grateful that um, you were willing to, to join me well, I didn't really do anything, but I'm so grateful you were willing to join us on the podcast and share so much mm-hmm. of your experience and your heart um, on this topic. So thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having have me. A, 
Oh my gosh, what a blessing. Um, I have a couple questions just to round us out. These are the questions I ask every guest who've come on um, to this podcast. And so it's really fun to just uh, get to hear all the different range of answers. So I know at the top you said you're 27. Mm -hmm. Um, So knowing what you know now at 27, what would you tell yourself at age 20? Oh gosh. (laughs) Um, I would tell myself at age 20, you know, that boy's probably not worth it. I'd be right. Uh, no, but seriously, I think I would tell myself like, um, slow down. Like yeah. what is the rush sister? Um, yeah, I think in my early twenties in college, I just moved so fast and was like just hustling, um, mm-hmm. in school at work, etc. And I think I missed, um, I missed the beauty of like the still small moments with yeah. people and with, nature and with God and I wish I'd just like slowed down and like chilled out a little bit like there you're yeah. not you're not it's not a race and even if it right. was like you don't that doesn't mean you have to be in it so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it always reminds me of the um you know when we were kids and our parents would say like savor being a teenager because before you know it life's gonna go so fast <laughs> right like, whatever whatever and now I'm like 31 and I'm like what happened right <laughs> oh my gosh I'm like I don't remember yes. October yeah. no <laughs> it's gone so slowing down I think is such a uh, such a lifelong message but especially in your 20s like savor that time mm-hmm. oh I missed that okay great answer um who or what is inspiring you lately yeah oh my gosh um so many things. Um, inspiration takes many forms. Um, <laughs> honestly, all the people that I recommended as far as like resources for racial justice, any of those people fall mm. under um, the category of inspiration. Um, but I think in addition to that, um, yeah, just in like the kind of the climate that we're living in, in the U.S. context right now with, mm-hmm. you know, just coming out of an election and there's just so, mm-hmm. there's just so much going on. Um, I started listening this year. I started listening to the daily, um, which is a podcast by the New York times. Um, mm-hmm. cause I'm working from home this year. And before I would listen to like NPR on my way to work and my way home. Mm-hmm. And that's how I like got my news. And now I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening <laughs> because I'm not driving. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I started listening to the daily. It's like usually like a 25 to 30 minute episode of just like one thing that's going mm. on. It's not like all the possible news things that could, that are happening in the world, but it's like today we're just going to talk about this yeah. and then tomorrow yeah. we're going to talk about this and it's great. Michael Babaro um, is the host and he has the most buttery, soothing voice you could imagine. <laughs> so, but that's actually, I mean, it sounds like a silly answer, like what's inspiring you? And I'm like, the news. Um, but <laughs> what's been so helpful about it is it's helpful to hear somebody tell me what's happening in the world in a really calm and steady manner. And they often interview like real people like me, Mm -hmm. um, just normal humans uh, who happen to connect to whatever the topic is. But what has also been inspiring is it's like turned into kind of like a prayer project for me where I'm like, I'll listen Mm -hmm. to it. And then like, that's what I'm praying for that day. Um, So whether it's like, dairy farmers in Wisconsin and how they're going to vote in the 2020 presidential election. Then I'm like, well, I guess I'm praying for, <laughs> for them. Yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> sometimes it's like, um, you know, schools reopening in some state and how that's going. And I'm like, okay, well that's mm-hmm. how I'm praying today. And so, um, that's been like, that's, cool. that's been helpful for me. I, something that I realized that was really convicting this year is I'm mostly, even as a pastor, Hopefully this makes some people feel less alone. But even as a pastor, I mostly only pray for myself Mm -hmm. or I'm praying like on a microphone at an event Mm -hmm. and like not a lot in between. Like I'm either, yeah, actively praying from like me and my individual desires and needs or I'm praying before we pass the offering plate or whatever. Um, And so that's just been really good for me to like pray for somebody else um, and the things going on um, in their world. So, yeah. yeah, that's, that's awesome. Definitely encouraging as well. Cause I listen to, I often on my morning walk with my dog, Amos, um, yes. I usually listen to, um, I usually listen to da- the NPR up first podcast. So it's yeah. kind of like 
12 to 15 minutes bite size of like top news of the day, mm-hmm. um, which I found to be really helpful um, in a time where I'm at home. Yes. Like, like you said, we're not, I mean, I work from home anyway, but like even still, I used to like go to coffee shops, <laughs> like trying right. to get oh out gosh. of so yeah. trying to stay in tune with the news. But I love that idea of taking what you hear based on what's happening and turning that into like essentially prayer requests, right? Mm-hmm. So you turn that into what you pray for. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start doing that too. That's a great, it almost feels like it gives more purpose than just consuming. Yes, um, exactly. Which is helpful because sometimes it can, honestly, with the amount of news that we have out there nowadays, it can almost feel like you're consuming so much and you don't right. know what to do with it. It's almost overwhelming. But right. if you turn it into something like that, some sort of action like prayer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's just a personal anecdote. I'm going to go ahead and take that oh, with me. Oh, great. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, last question I have for you. This podcast is called Wild Hearts with Janine. I'd like to just sit down with friends and talk about things that they're passionate about or experienced mm-hmm. in um, and just have real conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that said, in your opinion, what makes someone a wild heart? Mm, I love this question. <laughs> and I love this title for this podcast. Um, it's so good. I think – uh, for me, I think it comes down to like a compassionate curiosity. Mm. Um, like someone with a wild heart is curious about the world and mm. what's happening beyond their bubble, whatever their bubble looks like, um, and looks for looks beyond their bubble, um, not only with curiosity, but also with compassion and is like yeah. open to open to learning. So yeah, I think that's it for me. Oh, that's awesome. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us, not only for this episode, but our last episode as well. This has been so wonderful. And seriously, don't be surprised if I come to you in a few months and I'm like, hey, we <laughs> want to talk about one of those other topics you mentioned when we were emailing back and forth because you are so um, kind and compassionate, but you have so mm-hmm. much wisdom and you bring such a fresh perspective. Um, so I'm really grateful for this time that we've had together and I'm sure that our listeners are as well. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. And putting up with my Bible rants. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this episode of Wild Hearts with Janine. I hope that you also found this conversation that I had with Hannah so encouraging and challenging in the best of ways. Make sure to check out the show notes to see all the links to the resources that she mentioned, people to follow, books to read, podcasts to listen to, all of that. And also make sure to follow Hannah on Instagram. She is awesome and the stuff that she's putting out is constantly Um, encouraging and challenging me to learn and grow and just be a better human and a better follower of Jesus. So yeah, you guys hope you love this episode as much as I did. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Wild Hearts, but until then keep dreaming, seeking and stepping out in faith. Mm -hmm.